Hello, humans, and welcome to the 11th hour. It's 11.57, the night before that I would like this podcast to come out. And you may be wondering, Sam, what do you mean it's the 11th hour and you're still recording the intro and stuff? It's been like two weeks, dude. Well, I have an answer for you. <clears throat> I have been perfecting. I've been perfecting another episode <laughs> that I got totally lost in and had to abandon. So I could just get an episode out. And um, perfectionism has taken a lot from me. But it's not going to take away this podcast. And I'm always going to try and get these episodes out semi-regularly. Hopefully more regularly now that the summer is coming to an end. My son's going to go back into school. So <clears throat> I remembered I had recorded a conversation um, that was really smooth and in a quiet place and probably didn't need as much editing. So that's now what this episode is. But real quick, I just want to thank everyone who um, shared a podcast episode on social media or commented on one of our posts or DM'd me, whether it's through the hellohumans.co account or through my personal account, Sam Lamont. The engagement from listeners is going way up and it's so nice to hear from you guys. I feel like a teenager in the basement on the landline when he's supposed to be asleep, like twirling the landline cord, just giddy on some conversation with some love interest that's lasting until like four in the morning. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. Thank you guys. <laughs> that's so weird. Okay. Thank you guys for the social media love. It means the world to me. And uh, it really, it really does. I, I, I can't put it into words and um, huge thank you to, to the patrons. I mean, it's unfortunate that this thing um, costs money um, to do it the way that we want to do it. I wish it, you know, money wasn't an issue, but it is. And thanks to your generosity, we've gotten this far. And you know, we're not out of the woods, but um, we're in some good woods thanks to your guys' generosity. And if you want to become a patron, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/HelloHuman. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash hello human and you can pledge whatever you want a buck a month five a month 20 a month 50 a month i'm not kidding there's some patrons pitching in 50 a month to make this thing happen and it's it's keeping us going and you can adjust it at any time so you can scale back you can give us uh 50 bucks one month and then go down to a dollar a month for the rest of your time and it's it's very flexible and uh yeah okay uh won't waste any more of your time. Let's get going. So I'm just going to give you a little background on today's episode. Well, it almost didn't happen. Um, I lost my way and I started wanting bigger and bigger and bigger guests so we could grow and they could share it with their audiences and eventually we could become this sustainable show. And then if we didn't grow to a certain point by a certain time, then it wasn't going to work. And fuck that noise. I mean, it sounds insane when I say it now, but... I had just gotten uh, sucked up into something gnarly. And um, thankfully, I had a moment of clarity. And I called up Jacob because he's been on my radar for a while. He wrote a book called Blessed Are the Weird, which is a creative manifesto. And he also runs a boot camp called Creative Unboot Camp. And I'm a fan. And I knew he would have an awesome story, which he does. 
So here you go. You're going to see how hilariously perfect it was for me to tune into this episode right when I'm having my perfectionist nightmare. And yeah, this episode's great. You know, sometimes life comes along and bitch slaps all your possessions and things you loved out of your hand. And uh, if you're at square one, you're on sacred ground and enjoy the journey. That's the title of this episode. I'm sure of it. That's awesome. Square one is sacred ground. Here's Jacob Nordby. And uh, there's not going to be an outro because I'm just going to slap this thing together and then go to bed. Hope you enjoy. You know, not trying to put on a show, just talking. This is probably how it is. Cool. And that's what we'll do. Okay. Jacob. Hey. Hey, Hey. man. How are you? (laughs) Nice to to, uh, talk to you officially on the program. Yeah, right. This feels kind of weird now because we've been talking for hours in my car. Yeah. Yeah. So we are in the the Boise, Idaho area. And we've been going from one location to another trying to find a good quiet place (laughs) to record. (laughs) And uh, we ended up back at square one where we all started. Yeah. So that's kind of a funny. That's life. So, um, it was great though. Cause I got, a, I got enough, uh, to be enough knowledge to be dangerous here. Yeah. And now we can really do the deep dive. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, this can be as big or as small of a question as you'd like, but who are you to people who don't know who you are? Wow. <laughs> yeah. That feels like a big existential situation. You no, start asked. with the basics. The start surface. with the basics. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm Jacob. I'm mid-40s guy. I live in Boise, Idaho, a single dad. Um, I, I'm a writer. I work with writers. Um, I love the mountains. I like sushi, you know. Okay, now the deep the dive. Basics. Now the deep dive. Yeah, now okay. the esoteric. Yeah, so. Or existential. You're going to, you know what, you'll have to, you'll have to pick away at, at me on that. All of a sudden I get really, uh, I get really self-conscious about doing, I mean, I, I certainly will dive deep, but, but ask me some other stuff about that. I understand. Yeah. I'll lead you. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I think one of the things that stands out from like a, a regular upbringing, and the reason why I like to ask about this is because I think a lot of us on the inside feel irregular, hmm. um, like we're different. Mm-hmm. And so you just happen to have a different childhood that I think is really interesting. And yeah. kind of, if you wouldn't mind, tell us about the... Uh, the cult. <laughs> <laughs> the cult. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, of course, as a kid, you know, just thought this was normal. But then, um, so I was raised in this deal that was very, very strict, very fundamentalist Christian. Um, so we weren't living on a commune and, you know, um, being sold into sex slavery or anything like that. But, but it was incredibly re- restrictive mentally. And, um, like mind control and behavior, um, you know, very, very careful about how we dressed. And I didn't wear a T-shirt in public till I was 25, for example. I didn't see a TV program till I was 25. I didn't have a beer till I was 25. I didn't see a movie. 25 was a big year for me. Yeah. And tw- <laughs> it's not like you got to do those things at 25. That's when you left. Right. That's when I bailed. So, so no drinking. Yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> for <laughs> right. me, that might that might have saved, saved me some time. Right. But and... Uh, when you say you didn't wear a t-shirt out in public, what do you mean? Well, um, so yeah, um, we weren't, we had, they, we had these really strict standards of what they called modesty. And so we had to wear three quarter length sh- sleeve shirts and the women wore the kind of the little house in the prairie dresses. 
Oh. Um, so especially that was no big deal in the fall. And for the guys, you know, fall and winter and all that was fine. But in the summer, being the only kid dressed in long jeans and long flannel t-shirts and long flannel shirts got a little strange. Yeah, it's yeah. way less fun than not having worn a T-shirt till you're 25 because you weren't wearing T-shirts. Right. That's what I first thought. Oh, you just thought I meant <laughs> yeah, I, thought I was walking around like, basically naked. Yeah. yeah, no, no. Oh, no. bummer, man. A lot less fun than you're that. On the other end of that. <laughs> right. And so you're in this really strict religious kind of community. Yeah. And at 25... For whatever reason, you decide to leave. Mm -hmm. I guess what was it? Why? Why look outside? Because I grew up in a pretty, you know, I don't know, it, not typical way where I had a single mom, which I think is pretty common these days. But uh, a single mom who didn't have a lot of money, who was working her ass off, and mm -hmm. who became a public figure somewhere along the way, mm -hmm. where. For her to support us meant growing up on the floor of bookstores while she was teaching writing classes or mm. and just kind of getting, you know, handed off to various family members who could help, you know, because it required a tribe of people mm. to pull off what needed to be pulled off for Anne Lamont to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so you've had this life. I guess you got to see what other people were doing. Right. That's why you wanted to to leave. You got to see that other kids were wearing T-shirts or, <laughs> you know, for me, Sam, it really wasn't. It's so cool to hear these stories, by the way, about, you know, your side of the Anne Lamott uh, experience. Um, and, and really now to get to see, you know, meet you as a person like that. To me, that's really cool. Um <clears throat> It was really about less about what I couldn't do and wanted to do than than the intellectual dishonesty um, that I began to notice because I be, it was like there's it became too inconsistent. There were questions about these things that I couldn't. If I could have supported them with intellectual honesty in my exploration of truth, um, then I would have never left because it's like no, this is true. But but when any time that I would bring up something that I had a doubt about. And I wasn't allowed to ask the question that became that became this unsupport insupportable weight on me. Like, if this can't bear up to my doubts, then it can't be real. And therefore, I won't support it with my life. Um, so that's what it came down to was just there was one last straw one day. And I'm like, yeah, fuck this. I can't. Uh, I, I didn't ask if I was I need to be careful about language on your show. But um, watch your fucking mouth. <laughs> okay. man. Watch All your right. fucking mouth. That's what right? I was concerned about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> OK. <laughs> so, yeah. So that that happened. And eventually I could no longer hold it up. And it was my birthday. And my then father-in-law took me to Cracker Barrel for my birthday breakfast. And. And I couldn't hold it anymore. I spilled it out all over the, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. And it was a, t it was the worst time, worst way to break that news because I had been a Sunday school teacher and a song leader and a board member and all the stuff in this church. So, and here you are shitting on your own party, man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was the worst. <laughs> um, yeah. And your stepfather was the pastor. Father-in-law, yeah. Father-in-law, yeah. Because you're married. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you had a kid yeah. at this point. Yeah, but then I had three kids. By 25? Yeah. You had three kids? Yeah. Didn't you have your first kid at 23? Something like that. Irish twins. Yeah. And three of them. Jumped right on in there with wow. the other two, yeah. 
Okay. And then, <laughs> so you leave and then what? Yeah. So, you know, I was wandering around, um, intellectually and sort of spiritually for a number of years. Um, I just, I couldn't find a, you know, I went, tried going to some other churches and none of them felt there was, there was this quality I was looking for, Sam, that as I look back now, I realize that's the same quality that's mattered to me throughout my life about everything. And that's this, there's some little thing that has to ring true. Um, and I began to notice that no matter where I went, these different churches that I would try out from across the spectrum, whether it was a Catholic or a Baptist or whatever, you know, very, very much outside of my experience as a kid, there was something that wasn't quite, I'm like, oh, I could see down the road already. Oh, I'm, I'm going to have the same kind of intellectual challenge with this place at some point that I did with my, with the way I grew up. And so if I'm, if I'm honest, I know I, I can't stay here. So I was kind of in a no man's land for, you know, let's see, a better part of a decade, I guess. I would go and read um, Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer and some of those books, Marion Williamson, and I gained a lot. Um, uh, I gained some like, oh, there maybe there's a way to have peace of mind, maybe even without a specific religion or something like that. And so that, that I, I started to feel like, okay, there's more to this than, than what I was taught. Um, and there has to be a better way than all this fear and guilt. So, yeah. And yeah, I, I can't imagine kind of getting messed with by this really fundamentalist group and then feeling safe in other churches that shared so much of the kind of foundation with it in terms mm -hmm. of they shared the Bible and yeah. they shared Jesus. And so in the first place must have really just kind of tainted, tainted the well. Yeah, you know? I think you're right. Yep. And so... You said you wandered for about 10 years. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to get to to where you are now and what you're working on now, but I'm really curious about what led up to it because I think the the story's good. It's mm. it's worth being on this program if that makes sense. Mm. Thank you. And so it's, you yeah. start seeking essentially. Yeah. You had the heart of a seeker mm -hmm. that wanted this one thing didn't work out, but you wanted some kind of answer, right? Yeah. Fill, fill in the gap. Well, so Sam, I felt like such a stranger. You, uh, have you ever read Robert Highland's Stranger in a Strange Land? I want to say yes, yeah. because it feels like I should, You're but I haven't. You're supposed to have that one on the I list. haven't, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was one that somebody finally pushed into my hands. But it, I felt like that. I felt like a human born on a different planet and then brought back here to this planet. A human, but so clearly I wasn't, you know, truly an alien. But I've been raised somewhere else with different rules. And so I did not understand the rules of this world. I really... I still to this day sometimes struggle with some things. I'm just, I just was not raised with a certain framework of social norms. So um, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable in my skin, but in general, you know, a lot of times I've, I can feel pretty uncomfortable. So I spent those years in between building some businesses and um, started a couple of companies with my brothers and um, you know, I was really leaning in to, okay, I can become significant through, um, and I can save my family through making all this money. And, and I had gotten into the finance and the mortgage business and began to do really quite well. I mean, I was earning six figures and, and then, um, you know, it was, it was great. It was exciting. And I, and I felt for the first time in my life, I felt confident in myself and I'm doing something I'm good at. 
but it wasn't what I was really called to do. It was just, it was just, I, wow, it was the first time I'm making money. I can pay my bills and, and buy a house and that sort of thing. You're now part of the congregation of success. That's the right. The church of success. That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah. It's a good, good congregation, I guess, to be in. Well, it's, the, the cars are nicer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? so, so, yeah. So we started building these companies. But I eventually found that I was really empty inside. Um, in my, my marriage had never been good. And I was... I would was on this yo-yo with weight, so I was really unhealthy, and and I topped out around two forty. Um, and all the markings of success, other ways, I had the big house, and I had this gorgeous office that I had built. It was, I mean, it was, I mean, to this day, I just love this place. It was incredible, coffered ceilings, and a passion for extraordinary service was our tagline. And we had a copper um, reception desk. It was brilliant. The place was gorgeous, and we really loved our people, you know, our, our employees, and also the people who we'd serve and. But something inside was way off, Sam. There was something that was that was off. It wasn't working. And then 2008 happened, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, a young kid had come in and I, he had, a young kid came in and um, to work for me and he said, hey, um, he was there a few months. He said, I want you to come to this meditation retreat thing up in McCall. It's Mountain Town. And I'm like, all right. I mean, I should probably learn how to meditate. Sounds cool. And, uh, but I was really worried about it. It turned out to be a shamanic retreat. I didn't know that. I didn't know what a sh- shaman was um, at the time. And so he drove me up there a few months later. I was all worried about it, which didn't make sense because it's meditation. It's supposed to be really chill. So we get up there and um, turns out we, you know, open the door to this beautiful cabin and there's this beautiful woman there um, and her husband, who's a shaman, I guess. And they have the hang of the god Ganesh, the elephant god on the wall. And they administered this really powerful um, psychedelic, this uh, DMT, and it was, I had never been high, I had never tried any kind of drugs before in my life, it wasn't anything that I knew anything about, but that shattered everything. They talk about shattering, like, the, the way I saw the world, that gave me an experience of reality unlike anything else, and I wouldn't have gone looking for that, I was not looking for drugs or that kind of experience, so... I always kind of viewed it as one of those soul dates, something that was going to happen one way or another, you know? Yeah, DMT is a f- fucking hell of a drug. <laughs> I, I'm a meth head, and I turned down DMT one time. <laughs> well, this was my first experience <laughs> yeah. of anything stronger than aspirin, so that gives you an yeah. I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't have gone looking for this shit. And just talking to you in the car, at some point, the the things start collapsing in terms of the success. Mm-hmm. What happened? Well, you know, after that shamanic retreat, um, I came home and saw my whole life through different eyes. Like I knew that I was not free um, and that my success was not lining up with who I really was. I wasn't even sure who, who that person is. That's why when you asked, when we sat down here, to do this, who are you? I'm like, oh shit, this is a big question because that that whole self discovery process that I got into, um, that that led down a number of really deep rabbit holes. And I feel like, you know, depending upon how deep a person wants to go, that could be lifetimes worth of exploration into the who. Um, but yeah, Sam. So I noticed that uh, that things were not as they seemed, and that the. the success I had been chasing wasn't real. Um, it wasn't real with who I was. And I, and I knew that I needed to have a chance to find out who I was, but I knew that I couldn't 
with all of these trappings, all of this debt, all of these responsibilities, everybody, you know, all these employees who expected me to be a certain way. But I neither could I let it go because I was the oldest brother and I was, you know, very responsible and I was I was the guy. I had Messiah and on top of that, I had Messiah complex. So I believe that I was supposed to save everyone around me. And um, and so here comes along the financial meltdown of 2008. And it was such a gift. I mean, it was terrible, but it wiped me out and um, lost everything, house, business, everything, credit, all the money, everything was gone. and I, I can't sugarcoat that because it was fucking terrifying. But I remember not long after it happened. And during that year, 2007 to 2008, I had started to lose weight. That was my first kind of, that's the only thing I could control. So I lost 70 pounds. And so I was, for the first time I was in my adult life, since I had been married at 20, I was feeling good about myself, you know, like, wow, I really was able to do that. And I remember sitting on a curb in these ratty shorts and bare feet and a t-shirt with holes in it. And I had a great tan and I just lost everything. And I remember sitting there and I lay, I lay, I lay back on the sidewalk, Sam, and it was warm. And I could feel the heat under my back of my head and on my shoulders. And I remember going, oh, I'm fucking free for the first time in my life. <laughs> I remember going, it was worth it. Like, I, I didn't even care that I lost everything because for the first time I felt like I was actually free and had a chance to go find out who I was. Yeah, I had a micro lose a lot this year. Really? Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, it's like in ways it's similar except the consequences, I guess, were less because I didn't lose a house, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't have to worry about how I'm going to feed my son. But I had built my life hmm. over the past year thinking I was going one way and I was going to get married and then have more kids and then this is what our life together would look like. And it just... It got taken away, mm. you know, or it got, it went a different way, I guess I should say. And I understand what you're saying, where you're taking those first few breaths of freedom, where it's not that you want it to, you wanted it to happen, Mm-mm. but you know, the upside of being single right now is I don't owe anyone anything. Mm-hmm. And it feels really good. You know, I, I've been in relationships for the past feels like nine and a half years mm-hmm. for the most part, you know. Um, most of them have really, really wonderful moments to them. Mm. But I've also not taken a lot of time to do this, mm-hmm. you know, to not be accountable to a romantic partner mm. or it's strange. It's yeah. strange. You know, I, I, I feel the pull of wanting to jump back into a relationship because so lovely there's so much to love about being in a relationship mm-hmm. um but there's also a sense of freedom that i want to take into the next relationship mm-hmm. yeah that i know because we've we've been talking that ends up coming with you into the next kind of career right yeah and i think that's that. that's how you know it's working right mm-hmm. it's like there's all you know i a friend of mine is going through such a tough time. Square one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a beautiful place mm. when you've been there and you know what it means. But when, you, when you're in it, it feels different, right? Yeah. To get wiped out and put at square one. And there's truths that you find there that you could never, ever find anywhere else. Yeah. 
and that breath of, oh, wow, I've been carrying around a lot of extra stuff that I didn't even choose to put down yeah. is one of the things that comes with it. It's, it's kind of like, I think, I think I wrote somewhere terrible, beautiful things. Like there, there are these things that happen as you, as you're describing that. I just, it just reminded me of that terrible, beautiful things. Like they're priced somehow they're, I never wanted them in the first place. And somehow that makes them priceless. Like, lessons I didn't want to learn I wouldn't have signed up to learn but then because I had to learn them and what you're describing somehow they become really precious um for all their terribleness and so I still want to get to current time (laughs) you lost the house and backed out of the company Mm -hmm. um and now it's just you and your wife and your kids with no money, no credit, no house. Keep going. You know, it's funny because that, that was such a big time financially in the in the world. And so I had many, many people around me who, you know, we were all dealing with the same shit. I mean, it wasn't like I was the only one who had gotten wiped out. Um, but there were a lot of people who would come to me, Sam, and they would say, oh, my God, you're so brave you're changing your life. Like you're, you're changing your whole life. You're so brave. And I'm like, I'm not brave at all. There is no plan. It's, I don't have a plan here. I just have to, I have to keep going and I know I can't go back to what I was doing before. Um, but don't, I didn't feel brave or smart or crafty. Uh, There was no plan. I was terrified (laughs) the whole time, you know? Um, so it really became a journey then of learning to steer by intuition in a whole new way because all of the familiar reference points were gone. I didn't know who I was. Um, my self-concept had just cratered. You know, there was nothing left of the guy. Really, there was very little left of that guy. I didn't know who I was. Um, and I couldn't have been... And there wasn't much to hang on to before that either. No. <laughs> like, you were totally... Like, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, so I went through a nervous breakdown, and and then you know, and you said you've been through that, right? The, the nervous breakdown. Yeah, but I I've been through. I'd say one confirmed clinical nervous breakdown, <laughs> okay. and there's a few other that you know I didn't run by any professionals. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I had the moment where mentally everything shut down. Yeah, and where all it wasn't like. The, the roof came down, the walls came down, the foundation came down. And it's very, yeah. uh, you know, I was very manic and insane. And then once it subsided, I'm, there's, you know, there's not a foundation to build on. You know, it's it's yeah. like, you know, the, to use the, yeah. the word you used earlier, which I love. It was like homesteading. It's like, here's a plot of barren land nobody wants. <laughs> right. <laughs> Would you like it? Right. You know, would you like to build on it? Yeah. And But, you know, yeah. that's what it was, was <laughs> here's, here's a, a land no one wants. You yeah. Know? Which for me was like uh, <laughs> college dropout, teen dad, no real career, and the past 10 years have been a complete drug addict, not learning good human skills, right? which is why I started this program was to <laughs> maybe figure out some of that. Yeah. 
And that's what my thing looked like. And tell, yeah, tell us about. Well, I love that, you know, your, your, to your point of that <laughs> parent plot of like nothing on it, but a sagebrush or something. I mean, that's it. Nobody wants, no, I remember losing my wallet one time. After nothing I, grows in these grounds. Nothing grows. <laughs> just the wind blows through, you know, but there, I remember losing my wallet, Sam. And, and, and I'm like, oh, somebody would, who stole, wanted to steal my identity. They would probably find out very quickly They'd probably come and give it back to me and go, buddy. This is toxic. There's no, yeah, I don't want this anywhere near me. Yeah. So, so going through that was pretty crazy. And I remember trying to get a job when we moved to Austin, Texas. I tried to get a job and, and I had all of these, um, you know, uh, entrepreneurial titles. I mean, I had been a CEO of this and I'd been a co founder of that. And I mean, and so then I tried to put together just a basic resume to get a job like landscaping or something. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I'm not. I'm not. Tell, I'm serious. They, they would look at these resumes, and one one guy was, ran a landscaping company. He's like, I'm not going to hire you. You'll. I said, Why? I used to do this when I was a kid. He's like, Yeah, I know that you'll you'll quit. You'll start another company, whatever. I said, No, no, I need a job right now. You don't understand. I'm a mess. He's like, Yeah, whatever. Um, so so I had to eventually lie on my resume down. I had to dumb down my resume a lot so I could get a, a fucking a real job. Like it's just a job. So I ended up getting two or three part-time jobs. One of which was working in a cigar lounge. That was fun. And I met what's crazy, Sam, is the people I would meet during this process. There was this guy, five foot six, chunky guy with bald head and womanizer and a cigar like smoking. But turned out that he had grown up in Spain to, um, you know, ambassador parents, and he was brilliant. And he would sit there and listen to my story because I was just crushed, and he would listen to it over and over and over again. And he was so patient. And then he started giving me these little tools, these, you know, techniques to write things out. Um, and it turned out that he was trained in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And so he was essentially giving me th free therapy for, for months um, in the cigar lounge. And, um, and so he was one of these very unlikely divine messengers who showed up to help me regain my sanity. And, um, yeah, it was not long after that I worked in a, in a warehouse and for the government, I was a contractor and I carried boxes back and forth between this warehouse to the main office. And I was sitting there just bored as hell. And actually that's where I read your mom's. That's where I met your mom was, you know, through her book, bird by bird in that warehouse. Cause I was my go, I wanted to go back to my lifelong dream of being a writer. And, um, how dare you? Right? Yeah. How, I know. How dare you? I know. Move the boxes, right? Just move yeah. the boxes. <laughs> I know. So I'm sitting there, and it was such a, you know, there was long stretches of time between having to take boxes anywhere. So I just sit there, and I finally got this, like, invisible tap, I think an angel or something on, on the shoulder. is like, you're bored. What are you doing? I mean, this is the first time in your life you've had time to actually do what you said that you wanted to do. Are you going to waste this time or not? And so... I started writing and that's where I wrote most of the first book was in that warehouse and it was so lonely and desolate that even the spiders died or went away. It was just, it was terrible, but, but it was a perfect place to write a book. Um, so that's, that's when I started putting it back together, Sam, just a bit at a time. And I had no sense of, you know, I didn't know if I'd ever come up with what might be considered a life purpose or a sense that it, I remember, I remember going writing in my journal at the time, I feel like a stained glass window that fell out of its frame and shattered in a million pieces on the, on the pavement. And, um, and all that's left are these dusty shards. And I'm, I don't know if any of this will ever come back together again. Like it'll make any sense. They don't. 
Yeah. Not in the same way that they were. Can't. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's. I feel like I've died several times. Mm. Yeah. And, and the fact that like when some traumatic thing has happened that shattered me, mm. Humpty Dumpty didn't get put back together the same way again. <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you didn't get put back together the same way again because, yeah. you know, you yeah. might have like a cool tech company right now, which, you know, I think the world needs cool tech companies, but sure. now we're starting to get into the meat of, of who you are and why you're here on the program. Mm. And um, so take it away. You've just discovered that maybe you can write. Yeah. I mean... <clears throat> not wasn't confident of that at all and i wouldn't say even now um even after having quite a bit of you know attention for having written things um over the years uh, i wouldn't say that i still sit down and just say you know like blow up my fingers like a gunslinger or a professional card you know like oh i, I can do this it, every time i sit down and go yeah i don't know if anything will come out but yeah so that but that was where i started to actually feel like i had that that might be my my thing you know and um so that was exciting. I remember sitting there and, and it was this first book was a novel and it kind of was a metaphysical visionary fiction kind of a book. And, and it was, I mean, obviously it was my first, my first attempt at anything. So it's going to be deeply autobiographical. And, you know, So I was up there and I would just sweat and, and shiver and cry sometimes when I'm writing because it was, it was all, it was all stuff. It was cathartic. It was stuff that I had just lived through or was going through and I was trying to make sense of it. Um, which felt, it felt exciting, but also then, um, but terrifying too. And I, and I feel like, and Sam, I mean, you're a creator, so you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm sure when I say that to, to leave the self-concept behind and delve into the creative, the, the other part of the psyche, that some of that can be terrifying, you know, it brings up interesting, I don't know what your experience of that is, but that, that was my experience was, wow, there's. There's big forces in there. There's huge forces. I feel like it's hard to even feel like you can call yourself uh, creative if you're not doing it professionally or successfully. Mm -hmm. And by successfully, I don't mean successful in the way I think it should be used. I mean successful in the way that we generally slap that label on, which mm. is are you making money? Are you going to make more money next year doing this? Mm -hmm. Right. Success is like often seen as this like – I don't know what you call those those charts in the cartoons and the stock market. What do you call those things with the arrow going up? <laughs> yeah. The, the, what are, what the, are they called? The chart thing. I the think. chart thing. Yeah. I don't know. That's what happens when you don't stay in college. Right. <laughs> um, and it's terrifying. I mean, we were talking about this program and what it meant to me, what it started out as. You know, it started it started out as Hello Humans, which was just like a landing page for some stuff I had written. Hmm. Um, and this was after I had sculpted for a few years and, you know, felt really good doing it. But by no means was I a professional. Mm -hmm. um, looking back on it, I love my work. I think it was professional work mm -hmm. for a young sculptor, you know. Yeah. But and then it became like I wanted it to be a platform, you know, because when you're an artist, it's so hard to deal with kind of the the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're bad forces, but there's, you know, whether it's publications or galleries or publishers, mm -hmm. there are these kind of 
gatekeepers that um, can, in in my eyes, cut you a break and help you kind of launch pad off of. Mm -hmm. And then doing the podcast was a natural progression of that is like, yeah, we're just going to keep having the platform and we can have people on. And in order to, in order to help the podcast be successful, at some point I got really caught up in making sure that we had really big, well-known guests, mm -hmm. like their name were known and it would say something about this program. And sure. all the guests that we've had on that, all the huge guests are brilliant, mm -hmm. brilliant. But I think I, I was telling you, like, I lost track of the fact that at some point, at some arbitrary point, I'm going to have to do what this was made to do, mm. which is just be a platform for everyone. Mm. You know, yeah, try and get big, well-known guests because it helps, but also grab people that aren't as well-known. Mm -hmm. Or And even if this program can't launch anybody right now. Sure. But it's just on principle. Yeah. And so it's, it's so easy to get lost. I, f I forget how I even got in this thing, but it's so easy to get <laughs> lost. As I say, it's so easy to get lost. I am lost as to what I'm saying. It's it's so easy to get lost somewhere along the way. Yeah, no, I agree. And all of a sudden, um, this, which is the best job in the world, has become work. Mm. It's mm -hmm. like my mind has twisted it <laughs> into like work. Sure. Where it's like I've forgotten about um waking up every day to work on someone else's dream. Yeah. Interesting. You know, and uh, how that's also work. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be work that um, I enjoy less. Yeah. The mind is a fucking asshole sometimes, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have trouble with this, but I, I have a really hard time acknowledging my own progress. Um, yeah. Like, like I don't, it's hard for me to acknowledge that, you know, um, that things are, things are working well when they are Rochelle, who's, you know, the host, um, for you here in Boise and, and who's in whose house, she's a tremendous business consultant and coach. And I hired her a year ago and she sat down with me and said, yeah, she said, I think a lot of creatives are, are really, um, are really, really hard on themselves. Um, they don't, they don't know how to cut themselves a break and because it's, it's a lot less, uh, definable. Um, and I think that leads us to in this, in this day, um, defining success, um, it's become a lot less clear. So in the past, you know, if you're a musician, if you break in, if you break into the radio and you get on the top 40, I mean, you know, okay, I charted, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm successful. Or if you're book you know if you get you get a um, traditional publisher to take you and it, and it whether it hits the new york times list or not if it if it does well i mean it's okay i mean that's i'm successful but things have changed quite a bit um in the various creative industries um and i think it's easier to go out and get uh hollow um acclaim so lots of likes and shares for example on various social media and it's sometimes easy to start chasing attention um versus going in and doing really fine work at least that's been my experience and i've had to back away from some of that um as a result yeah yeah me too i mean in, in the sense that um i just had a realization that i am a small less known creative mm. and 
why would I be not featuring other people? Hmm. Like, I think what I'm doing matters. Mm -hmm. I do most days, lots of the time, (laughs) (laughs) a percentage of the time. I don't know if it's a majority or not, but, and I don't want to just, just have the, you know, creative 1%, which is a word that you use, which I liked, you know, which is that Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, these are the people that are always the first to get picked. Right. Because it takes less work to find them. Right. You know, and so. Well, and being associated with them is is cool, right? It's very cool. I mean. Yeah. And, and, it, and it does help pull if, yeah, it helps pull us up. It does help. And I think um, at least everyone that we've interviewed was they have some of that juice, mm. you know, that was really great. Right. That like, I know made the program really great. Sure. But I also know that it, just because you haven't been um, pop culture doesn't, doesn't mean that you don't have something incredible to give to the world. Right. Well, and I think that's where, I think that's where um, my current, desire is is really in what i would call the pursuit of what's real um i I was digging through you know one of my previous books and there was this one sentence in there in fact rochelle was working with me and said um you know let's let's really dive down into what's distilled about you because i had asked her i I said i feel like i'm having a hard time there's got this kettle of work of the last 10 years. And I don't know exactly how to select the things out of that that would that deserve resources. And so go find the money and go find the, the help to actually develop these things into something more long term. But I feel like there are those things in there. And so she went through this process with me of, of helping me dig, dig through that. And, she, you know, she's like, look, um, she was writing on this whiteboard, her whole wall in her office and writing all these words down. Just come on, just, just talk to me. What are some words that are in there? And so I started using the words that I use a lot and they're passionate words and exciting words. Um, things that I find inspiring and, and, but then it's, it came out, it's like the rugged, relentless pursuit of what's real. And she said, Whoa, that's it right there. She said, that's it. Where'd you get that? I said, well, it's in a, it's in a sentence from one of my books, but I said, that's, that's, if I, if, if I could only keep one sentence from that book, that would be the one that I would care about is that one, the, the pursuit of what's real. Because that's when it comes down to it, Sam, that's that's all I've cared about all my life. That's been the thing that made me question stuff as a kid in the cult. That's what made me go seeking for something better than the answers of success I was getting, even though I was pretty successful from, from the outside looking in. Uh, something wasn't real about it. And um it's what's kept me going every step of the way. And it's what makes me admire, you know, people like you um, in doing this program and, and what you just described about how you're looking to go back to. You know, I keep hearing these stories that remind me of that. They're basically proving my point to myself, which is people who are really trying to stay alive inside of their own lives. There's this constant pursuit of what's real. Does that make sense? Yeah. And yeah. it's changing, too. Right. I think re- reality, you know is is always changing and so i have found myself kind of you know i feel like um i'll get these kind of marching orders of what i'm supposed to do creatively Hmm. and i'll move on them Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden things start feeling really wrong Mm. and i realize that i haven't checked in like i got these orders like two weeks ago like he's like hey here's your assignment for today 
All right. Or she or whatever. Whoa, I just said he. <laughs> Scratch that. <laughs> the, the, uh, Take away your cookie the, there, buddy. The non-binary force. <laughs> the non-binary creative force in the world. Right. Uh, said, here's your orders for today. And I go run off. And like mm. two weeks later, I haven't showed up to work. It showed up for work in two weeks. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm like going off these orders from two weeks ago. Right. You know. Right. And. Like I'm in a little bit of a writing lull, and I know why. Mm. I know exactly why. Why? Because why I have that? like two pieces that I never finished. Oh, interesting. And it might it might be because I don't ever want to show them, mm-hmm. but I need to finish those pieces. Mm-hmm. I need to either finish them or completely destroy them. Interesting. Because I I feel like um, mm. you can't have that. Much. I mean, for me, I know my creative process process well enough that. Um, when I start finishing stuff, I start getting new stuff, Oh, you know, yeah. and the best, what the best analogy or visualization I can use for that. And although I'm doing a bad job of living in it right now, mm. I'm just going to describe mm-hmm. what I know to be true. <laughs> and that I guess I'm fighting right now mm. is that it's like being a reliable employee, mm. a re- reliable employee always gets the good work. Yeah. You know, here's the cool assignment. You're going to knock it out of the park. Interesting. And I think. I do believe in kind of like a creative force. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think of it as like some conscious being, but I think that like, you know, Mm -hmm. the light bulb popped up around the world at the same time, you know, with no direct communication. It's like, there are things that want to be agreed. And it's not, we're not so important that it goes, here you go, Jacob, here's the, the greatest book that's ever been written. Right. No, because you're some unpredictable human being. Like 10 people are going to get it. Right. And one of them are, are going to make it. Yeah. And then the person I feel like who honors that. Right. Maybe three people make it because it's not finite. You can, right. All, all 10 could make it. It's right. not a bell curve. Right. All 10 could make it, but probably maybe one, maybe zero yeah. are going to make it. And I just feel like the people who really honor it get good assignments. I love that. And I love I love that you point out that even those who do honor it, and show up are still inconsistent, neurotic, dandruff ridden, you know, anxious hypocrites. Yeah. I'm speaking, I'm that, I just described myself. Yeah. I, I not, can not a whole lot of dandruff at the moment. I think I've got that under control. I was very excited to find out that there's head and shoulders here. The <laughs> hotel didn't have it. Things are getting scary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is a real problem. Right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's talk about, um, you wrote a book, The Divine Arsonist was the first one, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about when you start picking up a little bit of momentum and you became the weird guy, mm-hmm. and which I think was somewhere along the way of The Divine Arsonist, but mm-hmm. it, but then it led into a book. And um, yeah. I think it's important to the, the work that you're doing these days. Yeah. Can you- yeah, thanks. You know, it's interesting. Um, I actually have a guy in town here who's a marketing fellow and he is just shooting new videos with me. And he said, Jacob, I feel because he's known me since long time ago, like early business days. And he said, I think you're missing a point here. And he said, I know that in the back of Divine Earnestness and the afterward, you say, burn this book because you you're not you don't want people to place a lot of importance on this book. And you were clearly done with it by the time you published it. But he said, um, and then your Blessed or the Weird book. He said, but I feel like you need to understand that this is actually these are important acts. Like book one is Act One. It's waking up. Book two is um, self-acceptance. It's this journey of self-discovery or the odyssey back home to yourself. 
where you learned how to accept yourself. And he said, I'm not sure what you'll do for act three, but it sounds like he said, he said, if you can understand that story, that narrative, he said, there are people who are still finding value in the other parts of your story that you're, you're, as far as you're concerned, it's fucking over. You don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, so that was really useful for me. And he's, and then I, as I began to work on that, Sam, I realized, oh, wow. So, right. This is kind of the, the waking up process when I wake up and for, for humans to have that moment of clarity and go, oh, wow, I'm in this labyrinth, this maze of these, um, of these patterns of what I was conditioned to believe was true and some of my mistakes and the various things I've done in my life. And all of a sudden I wake up inside of that and go, oh, maybe more is possible. Maybe I'm not as bound. What if it's possible for me to do something different? And then that journey toward the center of that self-discovery. So yeah, so somewhere after I wrote Divine Arsonist, I was kind of getting that published. One day I was driving on the road and I and I had this moment, you know, kind of like what you talk about, where you get the assignment. <laughs> and um, and I had this moment where these words started happening. It was blessed are the weird people, the poets, misfits, mystics, heretics, painters. I can't remember the whole thing now. My memory is also shot. Um, for they teach us to see the world through different eyes. And I remember I pulled over and I found an envelope under the seat and, and wrote on, I wrote the words down. Um, and people have asked me later, like, what did that, where did that come from? You know, it's like, well, it had some beatitudes, you know, from the Bible, the blessed are the poor in spirit and all that. So there was sort of, that was the basis for it probably. But the, the people who showed up in that little piece were, um, those were all parts of me as a kid, as, as myself. Um, and that it always felt really weird, like hadn't fit in. And so I was shocked. I, I put it on this image and shared it on Facebook or something. It started taking off and it got shared like right away. And I'd written other stuff and shared it and nothing ever, nobody ever gave a shit about anything I had shared. That's how I feel about everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd get like a like, or somebody would make a comment. I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I didn't expect anything out of this. It felt like much all of the weird shit that I'd ever written and shared. It like there's this this is no different. And all of a sudden it started taking off and it just got shared and shared and shared and shared. And then other people were making their own versions of it and then all this. And so, you know, it's been shared millions and millions and millions of times. And and I mean, I don't know, you know, even where it's all it's gone. But somewhere along the line I realized that I needed to um I needed to write there was more around it. So I wrote the book. Blessed are the weird. Yep. Which starts off with a weird way. Yeah. Talking about previous <laughs> civilizations. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. That was right. I was like, bold move. Jacob. <laughs> bold move. Bold move. <laughs> yeah. Let's right. just start right in by saying maybe they were ancient aliens or something. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that the, I don't know for sure. Yeah. So. I don't know for sure. I love the show, though. It's very fun. Um, And then it, it led into the creative unboot camp, mm -hmm. which I know you're working on a new book, but. I, I'm a fan of whatever the coaching, the creative coaching are doing are, because that ultimately that is why I asked if mm, you would be on the program. Really? Yeah, because you write Facebook posts mm -hmm. and they get a ton of engagement. Yeah. And to me, it feels like it gets the same level of engagement as much bigger pages would get, hmm. where. Mm -hmm. 80 people feel compelled to comment, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and commenting means something these days. Sure. And I get taking the time to, and they're big, they're longer comments. And so sure. I knew what you're doing had really helped people. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons I'm excited about having you on is you've written two books, you've published two books, I should say. You're writing the third. Mm -hmm. And 
for me, looking at, you know, I'm writing a book right now. Mm -hmm. It feels weird to say that because what if I never finish it, <laughs> right? Then I've declared it. But mm -hmm. to me, it's a lot more helpful to look at you than it is to look at somebody who's written 12 books or 16 mm. books or 40 books. Because mm. it almost feels like, how am I ever going to get to where you are? And right. that's not the deal, right? right. Like, right. I might never have a New York Times bestseller, right. or I might never even have a published book. Fuck it. Right. Like, let's just, right, right, right. you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. that was grandiose. I might never have a New York Times bestseller. Sure. I might never publish a book. Right. And, but I would like to have written a book. Yeah. And you've written two. Yeah. You finished two books yeah. and got them published. Yeah. So I think it's really useful for, it's like, it's like exercising with somebody who's been doing it for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Like you're just, you can't even use the same weight bar, you know, like how are you ever going to see yourself achieving that? But if you mm -hmm. are lifting weights with somebody who's just been doing it for a couple years or is just stronger than you in a way that you could see yourself being that strong mm -hmm. one day mm -hmm. that's a beautiful i can get there place yeah that's yeah. a beautiful place for creatives to yeah. start helping each other man i agree and, and i love that and i love the fact that you've you know and i think i said it before too but that you're you're really adding to your stable here of bringing people like me on the show you know like because i will absolutely share this this episode and talk about your show of course i will um, and I know that I don't, it, it won't be the same boost as if it were, you know, Deepak Chopra or somebody like that, but, but I just love that you're doing that. And, and my heart is very similar in that I want people to feel, I want not confident. I want them to feel, gain the courage to try. Yeah. And, and like when people come to me for creative coaching or, or work with their books or whatever, um, sometimes they show up and they want me to be Simon Cowell. They want me to be this really tough editor and tell them, give them the stamp of approval. Like, oh, you're really good. Like I'm super tough and they think of me as successful. Therefore, if I say they're good, I'm like, that's not my job, guys. My job, you might need eventually an editor or, or a publisher to be really tough with you or an agent to really smack you and say, okay, it would be better if, but where I meet people right now is where they need to gain the courage to tell their story. Um, where they need the courage to just tell the story to themselves. And as your mom wrote, you know, write a shitty first draft. That's where I meet people. And that seems to be the work is to come alongside there rather than because there are people who are incredibly skillful at meeting them further down the road when it's a work in progress. And now it's time for real structural edits and better polishing and all that. And th they're absolutely important. But I seem to be kind of occupy the space of stand there at the at the trailhead with a lantern and say, it's safe. You can, you can do it. Like go that way and tell your, tell your story to yourself. Don't, don't wait until the world is ready for it. Tell it to yourself over and over again. What, what do you teach at the creative on bootcamp? What's, what are the core principles? You know, it really, it really is, um, how to access the creative, um, code that's inside, you know, where it connects to that, non-binary creative force you talked about <laughs> earlier that you called he earlier <laughs> and then switch to she i'm gonna edit that out <laughs> fucking sexist uh, right yeah. but um that that is i feel like there's this journey inward 
And what happens? Oh, this is interesting, Sam. So in society, most of us are taught to, to focus on the what. So goal setting and the way that we're taught to become successful in this world is to focus on the product, the what. And, um, and and then we're then we go looking for the house. So a lot of times, then we start imitating other people to to say, okay, well, I want to create a book like that person writes over there. So I'm going to go study her, and then I'll try to do my best to imitate her, and then I'll come up with books like that, for example, um, or you know, a podcast. I'm going to go imitate the style and whatever of this person over here. So what I've noticed is very few of us go far enough upstream to find out even why, like. Does that connect to a true desire inside of me? Is that actually my desire? And in in Simon Sinek has done the beautiful work around find your why. But I'm in the book I'm writing now is actually taking taking it upstream a notch and saying we actually need to go deeper and find the who, um, go all the way into the who, like self discovery, because that is going the process of finding the who is transformative, and and when I find out who I am. That is where it connects to the creative, non-binary creative force in the universe. And then when I line those things up, who, why, what, or how and what, all of a sudden there's this really powerful excitement and I become like a little child. That's when it becomes play again because then I'm not um, forcing it. I'm somehow I'm hooked up to the, I've got these things lined up. So that's what we do in Creative Unboot Camp is we, we take a hero's journey experience and we work through that process. And there's a theme, too, because I follow the page Blessed are the Weird, <laughs> um, which has a pretty gigantic following, right? I mean, it's solid, yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a theme with, I've noticed with you, which is so in line with a core gut feeling I have inside myself, hmm. which is I read the I was just scanning through it today, just kind of rushing up. And there's this photo of two kids. <laughs> <laughs> two kids and their their silhouettes are swinging with a background of beautiful galaxy behind them you know <laughs> it's, it's we're all made of stardust but so is garbage so you know like whatever calm the fuck down <laughs> yeah calm the fuck down <laughs> and uh I love that one too uh, and, okay I'm, I'm, i was breaking up. okay so it says <laughs> we're all made of stardust but so is garbage. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> and you know what? Like I was listening to previous episodes where I had spent like four days trying to get the intro right. Mm -hmm. Like trying to make it just art, you know, <laughs> and listen back on it now. It's like it was so sacred at the time and it's so silly now. Like I love it. Yeah. I love that I did it, but I probably could have done it like less seriously. <laughs> right. Uh, and it would have been the same product, maybe even better because right. I would have had more fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I have been treating art way too sacredly, uh, yeah. way too sacredly in the way that's so inaccessible to me. Mm. And I'll start drawing and it's like I will draw a lamp in perspective, in good, in good perspective. <laughs> and all of a sudden I can no longer draw the lamppost or the street or the mm. buildings behind it because nothing will ever be like that little lamp for whatever the the galaxy aligned up to make that lamp drawing turn out great but now i can't finish it right because i've it's like become too sacred and like the what it possibly could be which would be the whole drawing of i don't know whatever england in the 1800s i've never drawn that but i'm i said lamps and i'm locked into that <laughs> uh sure it's like I'm so obsessed with what the drawing could be that mm -hmm. it doesn't get finished. Yeah, yeah. I'm so obsessed with what this piece could be 
that it doesn't get finished. That's it. Rather than like, you you know, finished is so much better, obviously, but to actually honor that practice is is another thing. And to, to me, it feels like that. It feels like taking making it less serious, yeah. making it less sacred. Yeah. There are like two really bad watercolor drawings on my Instagram for real posts. Mm. And I feel so good about that <laughs> because everything in my body wants to say, no, 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 no. Oh, like yeah. you can draw a really good drawing yeah. it, that'll take a month right. and three erasers and right. a good Instagram filter. And you could t- <laughs> <laughs> right. And you could totally make yourself look good here. And I could totally make myself look good here, but it's yeah. stifling. I yeah. my output is low. Mm-hmm. And um mm-hmm. you've you kept asking me. It's like you knew there was more behind it. You kept asking me in the car, what is your desire mm-hmm. here? What what is your desire going forward? Mm-hmm. It's to make the work. Mm. I want to make the I want to be the guy who makes the work. Yeah. You know, and like doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And um yeah, for uh, for whatever reason, what you think of this program, what you think of my writing, what you think of my drawing has been mm-hmm. uh, too important. Yeah, and how I feel about the artwork has been too important. Man, I love that, and it reminds me a lot of Tom Robbins' um, statement. He's like, uh, "I believe in nothing; everything is sacred. I believe in everything; nothing is sacred." And being able to hold that paradox of, I want this to be really fucking, I want this to be really good, like really good. And I'm willing not to be sentimental. I'm willing just to put it out there and do do my do my best, and then and then go. This is just one step in the creative, like whatever the soul is, whatever this self is, who is me. This book is just one step. And if I sit here and make it take a decade to write and make wait till it's perfect or get the right people to say the right things about it. I'm probably going to miss the magic of the electricity, what's alive in the next thing. And I, like, like you say, the, the imperfect watercolor, the, the next thing. So it's a paradox. So I'm going to flip the tables on you. Oh, good. What's your desire going <laughs> forward? What do you really want for yourself? Mm. It's on the record too, man. You're totally locking yourself. <laughs> oh, I love this. <laughs> Shit's falling down around us here. Um, Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, I want to. I was telling. Uh, I hired this this friend who's brilliant the other day, and we were sitting there talking. And she asked me the same thing. Like, what do you, what do you really want? I said, you know, I really want to get back to writing stories. I love stories. Um, I'm done saving the world. And and what's sad about that is it sounds like maybe I had tried and had succeeded. <laughs> Fucking never succeeded at it. <laughs> so since I failed at saving the world, Sam, I'm done trying that shit. You know. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't save the world. Um, so since that that since that failed, um, no, I really want to go back and start writing stories. And you know, I love working with people. I love, I love, I love what happens when I'm able to step into a invisible circle. Uh, a lot of times, it's on the phone, and I'm working with a client or in a you know in a setting with people live. Um, I love that too. But let's just say it's on the phone. I love. I love saying we're creating this invisible circle and we're going to step into this metaphorically naked. Um, and that right there is a test. They can handle that. And it's like, okay, they can handle the weird process we're getting ready to go through. But, um, but, but I say, if we can ask what's alive, 
if we can ask what's alive here, you know, what wants to be found, what's trying to be found. Um, if you're willing to ask that, then, and I'll ask the same thing, and our, where our intuitions meet and where that connects to the divine or whatever, you know, creative intelligence of the universe, the answers will show up. And they do. That's what's fascinating is, is I don't have a... I don't have a like formed um, modality that makes sense, but I find that by with that level of humility and asking and openness, some kind of creative magic happens that is not up to my ego, and I love that, Sam. Like when that happens, that that I, I go away from those sessions with people just zapped. Like whoa, that that was powerful, and I don't get to claim it for my own person. It's not because I didn't do something smart. I was just there for it. I held space for it. Um, so I want to do more of that. I have two more questions yeah. that are, uh, I have one that I'm, I'm just curious with for myself. So I know that you can fall into the trap of being critical t to yourself like I can. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> like I, I was talking about your two previous books where you're emailing about it and you go, ah, man, those two books, you know, <laughs> like, like, right. And, and um, right. Like, how do you keep, keep staying the course because it's so easy to it's so easy to quit i'm such a quitter man <laughs> i'm realizing that about myself my mm. fucking therapist my new therapist really fucking <laughs> uncovered that and it's horrifying i wasn't even aware how yeah. many how many projects i quit and how do you stay the course how do you fight all those little voices that say oh it's over jacob you didn't start writing when you're 25 so you're mm. fucked you know yeah. or um your your second book mentions ancient aliens, so you're you're toast. <laughs> you'll you'll never be on Oprah's program or you're whatever. Right. How do you fight that? How do you keep? <laughs> How do you keep going? Oh shit! You know, Sam, I'm I'm. This is gonna sound like such a fucking cliche, but I am just happy to be here. You know, I'm I am so grateful. I've watched. Oh, I'll tell you how I keep going is because a force that is larger than my mind, my rational mind. And I don't pretend to know exactly how this works, but there is a force that's larger than my rational mind that seems to be directing the, the steps. And I, and I can't explain that because I'm certainly not saying that in a religious sense, a traditional religious sense, but, but the more, so I, I stay fascinated. That's how I keep going is I just stay fascinated because, and I'm talking about fascinated when times are really dark and shitty and I'm depressed and I, this happens sometimes. Um, and I can't see out of, it's like, yeah, no, those, the book sales are lagging and I'm feeling really shitty about myself. And, and I'm pretty sure that the, the third draft that I have now is going to have to be just, just thrown right in the shit, shitter. And, and I'm gonna have to start over because that was no good. Um, but then there's this reminder that's like, I want you to look back over your life and look at the abs look at the absolute impossible odds that you would be here today that you would be I mean of course on this planet just as a thing I mean the probability of becoming a human on this planet is just it's tiny um but e even in my own life the ability to come back from some of the disasters the ability to make a life that feels really good after having been through some things that that I was sure I wouldn't survive Sam um, that's what keeps me going because I know that like, I must see this game all the way to the end. I really am curious how it's going to turn out. Yeah. All right. This is the final question that I always ask, but I always try and frame it in a unique way so it doesn't get stale. 
if a young man or woman mm. leaving a cult at the ripe age of 25 who literally has no fucking clue what to do <laughs> or how to be in this world mm. and how to enjoy this life that we have. And all of a sudden, mm. a payphone, which I guess don't exist anymore, but just imagine a payphone next to them mm. starts ringing and they pick up and it's you on the other end and you get to tell them a message mm. and they will be receptive to it. I've got to mm. add that part because they're 25, you know, but they're receptive 25 year old. Mm -hmm. What would you want to tell them about everything that you know to be important about kind of how to make it through, how to at least make it to your mid 40s feeling okay about yourself? Oh, God. Yeah, I'm really on the spot here. Um, wow. You're going to be okay. First of all, just breathe, really breathe. Um, there's so much intelligence in your in your body and mind that you don't even know it's there yet. And ask for help, like learn to ask for help and be open, learn how to surrender. Show up, speak from the heart, be honest. Um, those things are going to lead to, okay, so what happens? What happens? I'm on the phone here, just talking my ass off. What happens is that, that there's not enough light for, for the path ahead of you. Like your whole life has just changed and you can't see, you don't know what is ahead at all, at all, because everything's changed. But there's enough light for this one step. So look down at your feet where you are right now and tell yourself the truth. Like I'm standing on the ground. I'm safe. I have light for where my feet are today. I can't see 10 steps ahead or 100, but I can see this one. And when I put my foot out in the direction of that sort of faith, of that intuition that feels right, and learn how to do that, that the path will rise to meet your feet in most unexpected ways. And real magic will happen if you learn how to tr uh, live that way. Open, honest, vulnerable, porous to life. Um, you'll have an experience like most people don't ever get to have. So it's going to be fascinating. Thanks, Jacob, for yeah. coming on the program. Thank you.